to another episode of Discussions with Kate. We've got Kate here again, who's had a busy week of meetings in the run-up to the spring budget. Can you tell us a little bit more about those, please? Yes, of course. Well, I think, you know, clearly there's a lot of activity going on in the House of Commons at the moment in the run-up to the spring statement, 23rd of March, when the, the Chancellor is once again going to be having the unenviable task about updating on the state of the economy while we are in a further state of crisis. So after two years of sort of going through Brexit, COVID, and now into the war in Ukraine, we're, we're still struggling to be able to, to look at a long-term economic plan because everything is distorted by events. I think that also impacts on our ability to have meetings outside of the general point of crisis with government at the moment. And certainly we've had very intense discussions this week with government on the uh, situation in Ukraine what the impact is on our sector, but also more importantly, how we can help. And I'll sort of go through all of those. So well, I've had meetings with the Secretary of State for Business, talking about the, the impact on energy prices, Secretary of State for um, DEFRA, which is food and, and farming, on the impact on the supply chain. Key message really is that we were facing significant problems in any case in the sector, as we had the unwinding of, of the COVID, the supply chain, the restart of the supply chain, the labour challenges we've had, all well publicised before Christmas. We were already facing significant cost price inflation in the sector. Food price inflation for hospitality currently running at about 8%. Energy, this is the, before Ukraine, energy uh, 50 to 100% and generally feeding through into price increases that were touching up towards double digits for, for customers that, that businesses were planning to push through. That was before the last three weeks where we've had a significantly worsening situation in Ukraine. And although uh, we're not reliant upon Ukraine for much of the product that, uh, or Russia even, for much of the product in hospitality, it is a significant component in some key commodities. And more importantly, it's going to put further pressure on the global supply chains, the cost of containers, the cost of transportation, which is just going to pile inflation on top of inflation. And that's the key message that we wanted to land with the government departments. And we know that number 10 and number 11 are taking an active look in this because of the impact that it's going to see on consumer prices. So We've spoken to the business secretary about energy price increases. Anybody who's tried to renew contracts over the last two weeks is seeing anything from 100 to to 300 percent increases going through. We've had continual references back that people won't agree contracts. Um, so we've got two situations. Either they won't agree contracts for any fixed period of time and are instead putting people onto floating tariffs, which means that they are seeing astronomical increases or they're insisting on relatively long-term contracts locking in at that higher price and reducing price terms. And there's the general problem that we've had before that, uh, you know, you can't get a comparable quote because hospitality is seen as a high credit risk by some brokers and some utility providers, and therefore people are stuck with their existing provider and a take-it-or-leave-it approach. So we've highlighted all of that with the Energy Secretary. In addition to that, it's about one in five businesses in hospitality have a link with Gazprom for their energy supply, and clearly, therefore, with sanctions and Russian businesses, that is a particular problem. So we've asked for um, a recognition of the, the, the high cost increases that are coming through and leverage from the government to encourage broader quotes and, and comparable quotes to be provided and contracts to be provided on reasonable terms to hospitality. On the commodity side and on food, 
Um, it's working through the impact of, of sanctions. There are a relatively small number of legal sanctions to do with trading with firms in, in Russia, but there is a broader disruption that is coming through. And obviously, people are taking a moral approach rather than just a narrow legal approach. So the key commodities that are affected, sunflower oil, uh, heavily reliant on, on coming out of Ukraine, that is, that is a, a real pressure, but also white fish coming from Russian waters, grain, obviously, but then packaging materials, glass, aluminium, packaging pulp, um, and increasingly building materials, timber, steel, and in the supply chain, CO2 and fertilizers. So I think you are going to see that tsunami of costs that are coming through just building and building and building. And that brings long term pressure and the likelihood of higher levels of inflation, even topping the 8% the that we, we has been talked about for a longer period of time. We're building in a period of longer term inflation as a result of that instability. So we're feeding in information in real time. Any of our members who are responding to our surveys, thank you so much, because that is giving us the data to feed into number 10 and number 11 as they make these decisions about effectively a wartime economy solution that they need to be looking at. What it also means is that there's to say the preoccupation therefore is is on other areas of spending and support particularly defense particularly refugees rather than looking at the sort of normal business as usual so we do have to make sure that we're consistent with that and then the final point about ukraine we've had conversations with all of those main departments but also the home office number 10 and the department for local communities to talk about how we can help as hospitality. We have access to accommodation, we have access to support, food and other charitable initiatives to support Ukrainian refugees. And crucially, we have access to jobs. So how can we broker that? And we understand that we will shortly get a confirmation and details. I know there's lots of members who will be listening who want to be able to know how best to help. We're expecting to have an announcement about that humanitarian supported, sponsored route being published by the Department for Local Communities and Housing within the next few days. And over and above that, if anybody does want to help, the message from government is it's finance that they need rather than goods. So it's prioritising contributions to the Disasters Emergency Committee as the best way forward. But we will let members know as soon as that's available. I know lots of people want to offer jobs, want to offer housing and support. As soon as that's available, we'll let you know. So those are the, the big meetings that's dominated the, the first half of this week. In addition, I've given evidence to the uh, DCMS Select Committee looking at global tourism, the restart of the international tourism and business events to see how we can accelerate that to get the recovery that we need and also how hospitality can play its part in promoting Britain abroad. Again, cost price inflation, price competitiveness, the attractiveness of the UK as a destination in terms of price have been front and centre of those discussions when we were giving evidence. And we took the opportunity to talk about what needed to be happening to, to make Britain a better tourist destination, crucially keeping that lower rate of VAT, but also looking at visitor visas, making it easier and more streamlined to be able to get a visa, tackling the issues that we know we've got in terms of school groups traveling on ID cards and matching the Schengen arrangements to be able to try and make sure that we can maximize those high spend individuals coming over and make it as easy as possible to give people a great welcome. Uh, and then also duty free shopping also came up during that discussion. But our focus was on on lower rate of VAT for accommodation and tourism services. And then secondly, to the EFRA committee talking about the Australian free trade agreement and the new free trade agreement. Agreements. And again, really being able to push hard with MPs 
the real impact of cost price inflation and hospitality on the headline rate of CPI and the need to make sure that the sector has a break, that we keep the VAT rate lower so that we can insulate consumers from price increases. So a busy first half of the week. Thank you, Kate. And for anybody that might not know exactly how those select committees work, what does government do with that information once you've given evidence? Well, these select committees are, are, they shadow a department and they are backbench MPs who are there to scrutinise ministers and to make sure that the decisions that are taken by the departments are thoroughly scrutinised, thoroughly investigated, and that every additional information and evidence is put towards them to make sure that we get better policy going forward. So in these cases, they are uh, the EFRA one looking at the Australian Free Trade Agreement is a statutory requirement for, for free trade agreements that you have a parliamentary scrutiny. They then make a report, both of these committees, to go to the government department setting out recommendations and the ministers are required to respond to it. So they are quite serious evidence gathering sessions uh, for MPs to be able to, to make representations to ministers on behalf of the sector and for ministers to be required to take that seriously. So they have to come back to Parliament and say either why they don't agree with the recommendations or how they're meeting the requirements in a different way or it gives them the ability to sort of look at policy in the round more generally. So we would be very hopeful at giving evidence to those select committees, which run almost like a court. You know, it, it is quite a, uh, a stressful experience giving evidence to a select committee where you're interrogated for a, about an hour. That would make sure that our messages are landing, being heard and translated through at the highest level. So it reinforces the lobbying that we're asking members to do. And it's about making sure that we've got as broad a base as possible backbench MPs who have constituency links, hearing it directly from our members and operators in their constituencies, those who are in positions uh, within within the party, uh, their respective parties have spokesman responsibilities, backbench committees, then the select committees have more of a sort of standing locus and uh, have more authority so that all of those can put pressure on ministers to make the right decisions. Thank you. That's really good to know. Um, now, in amongst all those meetings and those issues that you've covered today, this week we also saw International Women's Day and you were included on a few lists there um, in recognition for being an important voice for women in the hospitality sector. Can you explain a little bit more about the work you've done and UK hospitality is doing to support women in the sector? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's really important. And, uh, you know, when we set up UK hospitality and we merged the, the trade associations together, it was one of the first tasks that I took on as the new leader to be able to make sure that at the heart of what we were doing was promoting a diverse and inclusive workforce. We've, if we are customer facing, we've got to mirror the, the customers that we are dealing with, whether that's in disability, sexual orientation, race, but also gender. And we need to work hard to make sure that we have a, a diverse and inclusive workforce that is reflective of the customer base, but also because I firmly believe having that diverse workforce and crucially diversity at the board level and the XCOM levels within companies leads to better decision making. Uh, you get a more balanced approach to risk, you get a different perspective on the services that we offer at a very basic level, but also you need to model the change you want to see. And hospitality at the, the lower levels um, and up to those, those sort of senior management levels has always been a very diverse workforce, has always had gender equality, equality and has the lowest gender pay gap of, of any industrial sector. In fact, in some parts of the sector, if you look at sort of eating and drinking out in particular, uh, particularly around casual dining uh, and the newer chains, 
you have a reverse gender pay gap. Um, you know, you've got women earning more than the men because you've got more women in senior positions. But there are parts of the sector where there's more work that needs to be done. Um, and I think it's an opportunity to just reinforce the fact that, yes, we are a meritocracy. Yes, we have got good actions that have been taken, but there's still always more to do. So when we started in 2018, the government's uh, Alexander Hampton review recommended that you had a third of uh, boards were female and uh, we were definitely off track to meet that in hospitality. Fast forward three years and, and this year's report, uh, four years actually, uh, shows that we, we, we are meeting that. We have got a third of women on boards. Crucially for our sector, it's not just in the non-exec realm. We have got women in executive positions across those boards. And when you look at the smaller companies in the sector, they are even more representative. So there's more work that needs to be done because we need to make sure that we have female CEOs, CFOs, COOs and CIMs. So that's where we need to, to focus our work. And crucially, what I was pleased to see was that that level below board, we have a stronger representation both of gender and of BAME. That means that we are well placed to be ahead of those targets and have more female representation because our, our talent pipeline remains strong. But I think it's really important. And, you know, if you've got 50 percent of the population is female and we're still celebrating because we've got 30 percent representation at the senior levels in our businesses, there's a way to go. And, you know, there's quite a lot of research out there that shows a more balanced representation of gender and more diversity of thought on boards leads to better decisions and a, a more balanced approach to risk and agility. So I think that there's more that we can do that is good for the business as well as good for the women in the sector. And a couple of things that I've done this week, one was in Westminster, which is about making sure that we've got recognition of the women in senior leadership roles at a political level, at a leadership level. And the, the 100 women in Westminster, I, I think, you know, is really proud of the fact and proud for the sector, because I think it is reflective of the sector, not just myself personally, that I was one of only a handful of trade associations uh, and industrial leaders in those sectors that was recognised in that list of the top 100. Uh, but also then it was it's about celebrating um, the, the great schemes that we helped to launch at UK Hospitality, the Plan B mentoring scheme with um, Anne Elliott, Emma Causa and Holly Addison, uh, which provides speed mentoring, a sort of form of speed dating to, to make sure we've got good mentoring schemes that are informal, that are relaxed, that meet women's needs, but that crucially are focused on getting those women to the next level of their career, making them board ready, helping them to get beyond the sort of senior level uh, up into the XCOM and beyond and stitching together those ladders that bring women through that are not in an ops route. And I think if you look at certain parts of the sector, particularly pubs, late night, tenanted and leased in particular, those are areas where the representation of women on boards is, is less and women in XCOM roles is less. And it's about making sure that we can provide the tools to help those businesses support the brilliant women in our sector to, to make their way through. And so, so last night we had a celebratory event for Plan B mentoring. And I would urge everybody to look at that because it does provide accessible ways through to support your brilliant women. It's just as important to have allies within the business to promote and recognise them and tell them to go and get mentoring as it is to have the mentoring schemes for them to take advantage of. And then yesterday as well, we also had the Association of Catering Excellence, which looked at our female chefs 
uh, and female catering and female leaders there. And, and again, brilliant leadership there from Wendy Bartlett and Jill at HIT Training, two of the companies that are that are working really hard in this area. So great to have three back to back days of celebrating the brilliant women in the sector. And on the topic of the workforce, I think it's probably also worth mentioning the Hospitality Rising campaign. Yeah. And that's still alive. That's something that we should also just mention before we wrap up. Absolutely. I think this is our biggest challenge going forward. Once we get through all of the other challenges, what we were talking about at the beginning with Ukraine, food supply, the supply chains and, and disruption, it all comes back down to labour, really, that we, we don't have access to the labour we need to meet the demand. If we get back into a sort of no, normal trading, peacetime trading, whatever that looks like, and demand returns, we know we don't have sufficient labour. And that's why all of these initiatives are important, whether it's looking at diversity and inclusivity, whether it's looking at disabled access, whether it's looking at terms and conditions. We need to make sure that we are seen as an employer of choice, that we have the best employer brand out there as a sector. And that's what I'm working on behind the scenes. But front of that, we need to have a really strong, fresh, new recruitment campaign to attract those people, particularly young people who've never thought of a career in the sector before, and to get the volume up of people who are applying to join the sector at those entry level and first job roles. And so the Hospitality Rising initiative is designed to, to raise money. We need a million pounds to be able to do a national advertising campaign and social media campaign. We have the best advertising and marketing brains in the, in the business pulling together to, to be able to develop that ad advertising campaign to get people into the sector and attracted to the sector. And it's led by the indefatigable Mark McCulloch. But we do need as many companies as possible from across the sector to join in that. It's just £10 per employee to fund it. We are about halfway through the fundraising and, and we have got about half a million pounds that's pledged. But we need all of the companies in the sector. It, it, people, All the operators tell me that people are their biggest problem. This is the way in which we will get more people into the sector and a rising tide will lift all boats. We did a podcast uh, recently with Mark talking about the new campaign. We've got more details on our website to get people to come through, but really I hate to do the Bob Geldof bit, but we do need your money to make this great idea into practical reality, change the nature of the debate about hospitality, recruit more people in, and then start broadening out the campaign to show that what a fantastic place we are to work and to have a career and grow. Thanks. And you can listen to that podcast on our podcast page. Just go to ukhospitality.org.uk forward slash UKH podcast. Thank you, Kate, for another informative update on all these different issues which are impacting our sector. Thank you. If anybody is listening and has questions or want to know anything more about the topics discussed, you can email us at info at ukhospitality.org.uk and just put podcast query in the subject line. Thank you for listening and until next time. Bye.